With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. Use or I'll just use both of them. Very good to be here this morning and get into uh, speak on a subject that I think is very important. Speaking of that, the subject material. A number of years ago, Brother David taught a, I believe, a Thursday night class, and he raised this uh, question, or actually the scripture, about the narrative we have about Cain and Abel and and, and that that situation. Um, And that's why I call this the way of Cain. I've actually done this a couple of other times, and after I got out of the hospital, things were, I'm going to do it again. So it was well-received in that way. Um, I'm going to start with uh, Hebrews 11, the first uh, four verses of that, uh, that letter in that particular chapter, known as the faith chapter to most folks. But uh, I want you to understand something when we read this, that this uh, offering, in the in the context of this, Abel's offering was a product of uh, faith. I mean, faith, not, not that faith manipulated him. It was his faith in what God had said and what God um, expected of him. His faithfulness in that way is why um, he was blessed, but... Or, uh, as the King James says, God had regard for his offering. And he had, unfortunately, no regard for Cain. But here's what it says. I'm going to eliminate some of the words that aren't in there, such as the words by every now and then. Uh, But there are other, sometimes there's other words. But this Bible reads this way. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For, through it, the men of old received divine approval. In faith, we understand that the world was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was made out of things which do not appear. In faith, Abel Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he received approval as righteous, God bearing witness by accepting his gifts. He died, but through his faith, he is still speaking. God speaking well of Abel here in his offering. Now, 
In contrast to Abel's offering here, we have Cain that was not acceptable. And we're going to read that passage very soon. But the reason I'm talking about this at all is I think this is very timely. It probably has been timely for a long, long time. But what is mankind's true relationship with God, with their creator? What is that relationship, the true one, that we we have and we live with? And as a Christian, I'm concerned with what I hear uh, being said and promoted as truth in this context. I think there's a lot of misinformation out there, assumptions, and a lot of it is for maybe malicious ways, but most of it's just misunderstanding, I think. But the Word of God gives us the, the pure truth of the matter. God wants us to know him through his Word. He's made himself invisible. No man has seen God, the face of God. So, God demands that each of us seek him. And we seek him through his word and through the great truth that we find there. So, I know that a lot of folks have not lived long enough to have a real mature knowledge of God. So, their relationship is, is uh, not matured, maybe not very powerful. But those aren't the ones really, those people aren't the ones I hear making accusations and things that are concerning to me. But I'm not concerned with my feelings on the matter. What I'm concerned with is that the direction they're going, they're going to miss a great opportunity to have a real relationship with God that's useful in their life and certainly useful for the life to come. Now, the the question is, is this just meddling or is there a better reason for it? Some folks, don't, they don't like to talk about this sort of thing because they feel their personal relationship with God is their business and nobody else's. Well, it is. But wouldn't you like to know the truth? And I think we ought to help people learn the truth as much as, we're, as we can. Now, I believe that there's two points. I know there's more, but I'm only going to do two um, this morning. Two points that we have to get right if we're going to have a real understanding of God, one that is useful uh, to us and useful to those folks around us. We're going to learn about the nature of God. David has spent countless hours speaking on the nature of God, the nature of his son, and in the nature of faith and, and the church and all that we have, the nature of it. In other words, what it, what it really is and how we should look at it and understand it. Because that is the basis of our relationship with our Creator. If we get it wrong, and how long can we have it wrong? We can have it wrong all the way. You know, we only got X amount of years to, to walk this God. We want to get it right. Don't we want to get everything right that we start? I think we do. We don't like to start something and then mess up and don't try to fix it. Not that you folks have messed anything up. 
But I can tell you I have in my understanding and the scripture teaches me. So, here's the question. Do we truly have free will? Everybody know what free will is? That means you're not a marionette. Things haven't been prescribed for you that you simply are going to, it's just going to happen no matter what you, can you even imagine that? Is that how you, your life has been? Hey, I've, made, I've had a chance to make choices on things, and I've made some good ones. Don't we make some bad ones sometimes? Would God want us to make a bad choice? I haven't read anywhere in the scripture that that's what he wants. We have free will. We were created in the image and likeness of our God, our creator. Do you suppose that came with some attributes? We need to remember who we are as people and every other person out there. Let's have respect for God's creation, the jewel of his creation. Second question, do we have the tools that we need to do right. When I mean do right, I mean do the right thing according to God's provision, according to his thinking. You see, sin is anything that's outside of the will of God. So that covers lots of things, even some things we don't think maybe would be. Do we have the tools to do the right thing? A lot of folks, well, you remember Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it. That was kind of funny, except it's not true at all. First chapter of James makes that real clear. That's not true. So do we have the tools to do what's right without some sort of cosmic manipulation that is uh, controlling our life or our situation? See, this is where the Uh, as David has coined this phrase, the great virus in the church, the virus of the virus of systematic type religion, Calvinism, Augustinianism is where it originally came from. So if we know about those two things, I think we're we're gonna we're gonna have a much better chance to get to know God in in a way uh, and to, when we know these things for sure, when we read Scripture, we get a lot more out of it too. So let's look at Scripture. Uh, in, in the passage I'm going to use here, uh, Genesis chapter 4, just the first seven verses. And I'm reading it from the RSV this morning. I like the way this fits better, I think, with the tone. Um, of this particular passage, James or uh, Genesis chapter four. Now this is, of course, after creation and after uh, Adam and Eve had sinned and were put out of the garden. Uh, now we come to this narrative here that's very important because it's the first and maybe the best text that we have concerning the two questions that I've just posed. My scripture reads like this. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, 
and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a tiller of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel brought of the first firstlings of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Now this is the meat of the account. And that word regard means something. God had regard for Abel, but none for Cain. You suppose Cain felt the weight of that no regard? Have you ever had any no regard come your way? Yeah. Oh, it feels great. <laughs> that no regard, that, that'll really straighten you out. Well, I think this is so interesting. And here's what, how it goes on. So Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? God says, If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. But you must master it. Who do you suppose the you is there that God mentioned? Was it Cain? Boy, God has solved a lot of doctrinal problems right here in these first passages. This is how he deals with man. This is how he thinks of man. And this is how man is expected to deal with God. Oh, it's, it's, it's powerful. Now let's look at the rejected offering of Cain. He did, not, he did not do well towards God. And that was supposed to be the object of his worship and the object, object of his offering. I don't know how he knew what the offering should be, but I'm sure that in this age, the patriarchal concept, I'm sure Adam taught his sons, this is what God expects of you. And there was a requirement there. Well, I believe, when we read other scriptures, Cain, um, such as uh, Jude 11 and... Um, and in other places, actually in Hebrews, where uh, his offering was, what's the word, more abundant, Abel's was. But Cain's offering was, I think, marginal. You know, it could have been just enough. You know what I mean by that? Just enough. In other words, he kept thinking all the time he was preparing this offering. Well, now, I don't need to go that far. I don't, you know, I want to do it, but I want to, you know. Was there other, some other considerations in his offering process? Have you ever had anybody do something for you that when it was 
done and over, you realize that they went way beyond what was agreed to? Not in a way that's harmful, but I mean in a good way. They just did a lot more, and you wonder why. Well, it certainly isn't because they don't respect you or like you. They did it because they wanted to do it for you. So, don't you think that's maybe a logical way to understand it? His offering was marginal. <laughs> Cain's or Abel's offering was more abundant than was required. That's what the Greek word says. It's not just a word that we have in a lot of our Bibles. Excellent. It w- it means more abundant. It went beyond. So, as Jude 11 says, the way of Cain must be avoided. The way that Cain approached this offering, the way that Cain approached God and his responsibility to him under this system of the patriarchal system and the offering system, that sort of living and our actions towards God needs to be avoided. I think that's clear. We need to avoid that. But a great, even though this is really a sad account, I think there's a great lesson for us to learn through this account. And believe me, this sort of thinking is still prevalent today. And it's causing the same kind of trouble. Uh, Let's just go to, we're varying just a teeny bit off course, but I want to show you how Scripture our English Bibles can get us in trouble sometimes. Acts 21, verse 15. Remember the account between Jesus and Peter very near the time when he was uh, ascended back to heaven? Well, there's an account there that I've had long discussions with people because of the fact that the English doesn't give us the right word for love, they just use love as a general big white paintbrush and paint it like that. Love means, well, whatever love means to society. But you see, there's lots of different terminology for love. But here, I'm just going to use one, one verse because it goes on, he asked him three times. But Jesus said to them again, uh, Peace be with you. Whoops. Chapter 21, verse 15. I was in 20. Um, when they had finished breakfast, that is, Jesus and the apostles, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Peter responded, Yes, Lord, you know that I respect you or hold you in high admiration. You are my friend, that's, that was Peter's response, but it wasn't the answer that Jesus wanted. He wanted to have that love, the same love he mentioned. He wanted that returned to him from Peter. Peter did the best he could, I think. The best he understood at that moment. Because he did hold Jesus in the highest regard. But you see... It just it just it just goes on with the same love love and Jesus asking love and you know it goes back and forth 
as we see. And um, uh, in my other Bible, my Darby version, uh, he actually he actually breaks those words down and puts the right phraseology in there. That's Darby. Okay. You see how it is in 17? He says to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, art thou attached to me? See, Jesus has lowered the standard now of love back to, down to attached. The attached isn't the same as agape that it started with. But nonetheless, this is the situation that we have. Uh, we need to be careful. Uh, when we study our scriptures, let, let's go to the, uh, in other words, love doesn't equal, in, in the Greek, the English word might equal, but in, in the original language, love doesn't equal just, just friendship. I'm sure that's part of it. But is friendship what what would allow was just a friendship or even uh, courtesy uh, or even good manners? Is that would that allow you to die for that person? Would that allow you to correct them when they're doing wrong because you love them, or would you just let them go their way? You see, that's what agape love is: is a love that is uh, is God's definition of love as modeled by his son, Jesus of Nazareth. See, he's the model for agape love. He's the model for this. And that's why Jesus can ask that question of Peter. So, that's the first thing. The first point under that um, is uh, the offering of uh, Cain and why it was rejected. But the second point under that is the reason, I think, for great hope for us as people. People everywhere. We have a great hope if we'll only access it through God's word. Let's go back to the, the text and, and read, reread verse 6 and 7 again. Because they are, they are incredible. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Notice how I changed my tone there a little bit. Who should be angry at the uh, insufficient offering? Shouldn't it have been God that was angry? He was the one dishonored, not Cain. Well, he brought dishonor upon himself, but he, that wasn't his intent. But he's asking Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? His expression, he looked angry. He looked like he was very upset. Verse 7, if you do well, will you not be accepted? Can God ask that question of each one of us today? If we do well, I think it's within his right. If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, Cain. But this is a human condition, each one of us. Sin is crouching at the door if we decide to not do well in the eyes of God. But I like the way it ends. But you must master it. And I'll talk more about that in just a moment. God's reason. 
God reasons with an angry Cain. Is this the God that's promoted in the world today? Is this the God of the Muslims, a reasoning God? The Muslims believe that God's after them to punish them. And they need to do all sorts of things to make God feel better about them because they need to be punished and disciplined and destroyed. And Do you think preaches... Uh, uh, churches and preachers threaten their parishioners with God's going to get them over and over and over again. That's called theology. But it's it's not true. God reasons with his people. How many places do you suppose just in the Old Testament God has said, come let us reason together. There's a number of them. God is such a powerful God, he is willing to reason with his creation. Why? Because we have the ability to reason with God. We have the ability. But if you just turn it off and say, God's going to get me and live that way for 80 years, when you're on your deathbed, you're going to hope that you weren't right about that. You weren't seeking God. Instead, you were afraid of God. That's not the God of the Bible, friends. God of the Bible is the one we just read about here. This is how he deals with people. God asks, why are you angry? If you do well, will you not be accepted? I think that's true. I I believe that's just what uh, God will do if we do well. The question is, are we doing well and are we doing it for the right reason? If you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. Wow. There are consequences, aren't there, to our actions? Ever felt any of those consequences? Oh, I think we have. I think we we all know what that is. I believe that Cain had complete free will according to his creator. I don't think he omitted one single tool in that toolbox that he needed in, in, a, in a way of describing his abilities, his attributes. God had given and provided the tools to do right. I believe that. If I didn't believe that, I couldn't be a Christian. I couldn't be a worshiper of God. If I thought a God was just a God that was out to get me, what's the use? But that's not the God of the Bible. That's the God of man-made religion. God's not angry with us. He sent his only son to die for us. So we have remedy for our sin. Does that sound like a God that's out to get us? I don't think so. Now the remedy for Cain's situation was to do well. But furthermore, God says this concerning uh, sin in his life or sin crouching at the door. He said to Cain, thou shall or must 
depending on what version you have, rule over it. Or master it is another version that's out there. The word master means owner. You own it. You must own it. It's yours, you know. Uh, when it's lurking at your door, you're the one that has to master it. You're the one that has to resist. You can ask for help from your friends, your family, others. You can ask for help, but it comes right down to you before it's over. It comes down to each one of us. Apparently, according to Scripture, we have the tools, we have the ability that it takes to rule over our desires or our tempers or our urges. Even our emotions, you know, are controlled by us. We all have emotions, and we should have. If you don't have an emotion, then <laughs> then you're a thespian of great uh, renown. We all have emotions. It's God, God gave us emotions to, well, I was going to say just to be interesting, but there's a practical reason. <laughs> But we can take those emotions so far that we bury ourselves in our emotions. And to say that you have no control over that is to say that God is not telling us the truth. Because as he says, we can rule over these things. If our emotions bring us to a sinful state, then, you see, we should rule over it. We should be the master of it. And we are indeed, I come back to this, we are indeed wonderfully created. It's God's way. He made us. If, if some scientist had made us, well, that would just be a mess. And we would have their attributes and not God's. We, he certainly does. And it's expressed in Scripture from time to time. That's right. Thus, the great responsibility we have for personal decisions and making uh, making good ones and doing what's right. I have something we say it in in our home. Kathy and I, uh, we tell our children, "Do the next right thing. Do the next right thing." Yeah. Maybe something was done wrong. Do the next right thing. <clears throat> you follow that path, and you'll find a remedy for your problem. So, the conclusion of this is, I, I, I'm going to have to go through really fast, because we're out of time. But I may speak on it again. This teaching that we've just been through here, this should suffice for every person to truly take full responsibility for their own actions. Full responsibility. That's what our brethren from 200 and, well, over 200 years in this country when they tried to restore faith and the scripture back to the churches. That was their struggle. 
to do away with the systemized religion and, and the creeds and all the things that were so contrary to godly ways, to do away with them and bring people down to a personal decision-making ability, to make our own decision whether or not we accept Christ as our Savior, not to have it voted on by the deacons of the congregation sometime after we left, after we recounted a very emotional experience that we had had, that we knew we were saved. You see, that thinking comes from the fact that people feel they're predestined to be saved or lost. God never said we were. Theologians do. They're wrong. God's right. That's the way it's always been. Yet we have it. So this is the virus. Um, we, we see this, um, even though I think this, the narrative of Cain and Abel and all that we have, should that put that to rest, this whole issue of personal responsibility? Yet it doesn't. It hasn't. We don't see this in the lives of men and women. We don't even see it in our churches. People are still fearful and being threatened and condemned as sinful parishioners, and on and on it goes. Yes, these things happen, and it's caused by the great virus that we've had in Christendom since around 400 A.D., (laughs) since the time that Augustine needed to write paper after paper giving himself excuse for the bad conduct that he had been through in his life, even after he became a Christian. He wrote paper after paper trying to spiritualize this thing into where at the end of the day, it was not his fault that he did these things, but it was the fact that he was predestined to do so. And how many countless thousands and maybe hundreds of thousands of people in this world have laid on their deathbed after believing predestination their whole life and wonder at the end of the day after being a Christian their whole life if in fact they did it all for nothing and they're going to hell. You see, that's that's the predestination sermon that you never hear in most of our denominational churches. The one where on your deathbed, well, you, how are you going to know whether you're saved or not? Was you going to rely on the, the folks in the church dropping the marble in the thing, yay or nay? Was that going to make it right? Well, I don't want to rely on that. I want to rely on God's word. We're out of time, but I'm going to tell you the the acronym for Calvinism is TULIP, T-U-L-I-P. We'll we'll talk about it later. I'm sure David's talked about this a number of times here. TULIP, total depravity is what it's all based on. In other words, at birth, you're totally depraved. You have no chance of pleasing God or making anything of yourself 
because you're born sinful and on and on. And yet in Matthew 18, Jesus shows the little children as being free from that condition and that the adults need to put themselves back into that condition before God. Whoops, the theologians got it wrong. It's not true, folks. You're not born with sin. You become sinners when you go, when you do something you know is against God and his way. I'm going to conclude right there. There's other things to be said, but hopefully there'll be another day to say them. And uh, I offer this time for anybody that uh, has any thoughts or concerns concerning these things or other things concerning their faith, what they must do to be a Christian. This is your opportunity to come. Brother Greg uh, and the men here at the church could help you along uh, in those questions or any other concerns you might have this morning. So this time, Brother Greg, I'll let you turn it back over to you. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.